Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle. I use she or they pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at Talk 90 My co-host is Jade. Hello, I'm Jade. You can find me most places on the internet at jadeoxfordrose, and I use they, them pronouns. We'll be making our way through the books, one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience with our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Today, we are talking about Megamorphs 4, uh, which was fantastic, especially compared to some of the books we've been reading recently. To be fair, I think even if we weren't coming off a couple of real, yeah, books, this would still be an excellent read yeah yeah it it is truly very good um it as an adult it is my favorite of the megamorphs uh because i'm not looking through the lens of a dinosaur child um (laughs) (laughs) but uh it i think in quality for sure it stands head and shoulders above the others um Mm. and and themes and stuff like that um, like our other Megamorphs books, with the exception of the first one, uh, it deals kind of with time travel, uh, as Jade pointed out before recording, it is a, it's a wonderful life, uh, type plot, wherein, uh, somebody makes a wish that certain things didn't happen, and then we get to see how that would change everything. Um, I love you putting this caveat on when it's it's established in the mm, second chapter because that first chapter is pretty brutal. <laughs> uh, that that's what's happening. <laughs> uh, and before we dive in, let's get into some content warnings because there is some pretty heavy stuff in here. Um, so, book specific content warnings for child neglect, bullying, cult tactics, especially love bombing. Uh, major character death, although they do get better, um, and violence committed against and by children who are not in the bodies of animals, um, because they don't morph, because they can't morph in this alternate reality. Uh, so. Uh, it's a, it's a book. Do you have any thoughts you want to lead with, Jade? Um. I'm a big fan of this device generally. Uh, TV Tropes calls it It's a Wonderful Plot, um, and it <laughs> is tried and tested, uh, especially in very episodic stuff. Like, it's a very good way to do, like, a side episode, especially around sort of Christmas. It's quite common because, obviously, It's a Wonderful mm-hmm. Life is sort of Christmas. Uh, though I've never seen it. I, I just am culturally aware, very culturally aware of It's a Wonderful Life, uh, as mm-hmm. it's hard not to be. Uh, it's sort of very, even in the UK, I appreciate it's a very American movie in a lot of ways. Um, is it Frank Capra movie? I don't know, Jimmy Stewart plays the lead. Anywho, um, I always, one, I'm a sci-fi nerd. I like seeing alternate timelines and specifically what I enjoy about these specific kind of narratives where it's only a small thing that perhaps is being changed I love seeing the ramifications of that and how people are different. As somebody that often muses, I wonder where my life would be 
if I had done X instead of Y. As someone, you know, prone to overthinking every major decision that they make in their life, nah. <laughs> um, it's just very, I think it offers really interesting chances for exploration of character. Mm-hmm. I feel like some people get it better in this book than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say the characterization is bad, but rather I feel like it's just not really explored mm-hmm. very much. Um, I feel like Marco gets the worst of it. Yeah. And that we don't get, because his chapters are very action orientated for the most part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't get a lot of, internal perspective on things whereas this is a great cassie book Mm -hmm. um for certain even if there's a touch of she is uniquely special Mm -hmm. um which is that is a trope that bugs the hell out of me um but i do kind of like the bullshit science behind it but it couldn't have been you know couldn't it just been like as a result of something else not um, weird magic space Mm -hmm, magic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um jake is great in this book um Mm -hmm. uh tobias has some very interesting and thought-provoking development axe in this book is great yep like how interesting how different his timeline and story could have gone rachel Mm -hmm. is impeccable i love rachel in this (laughs) it's great perhaps perhaps unsurprisingly like just yes i love this girl she's great um <laughs> but i saw a play about joan of arc yesterday so i'm very like ah um, <laughs> about like warriors and stuff like that right now and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um like more so um but yeah i just it's just a very cool thought experiment and i like the opportunity that Ka has here, and it feels so much more coherent than some of the other megamorphs yes. have. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a perhaps because it's not a very expansive plot. They're not like mm-hmm. hopping all over timelines or mm-hmm. dealing with weird bullshit twister stuff or dinosaurs. You can take it <laughs> seriously and not get pulled out of the narrative. Yeah. Um, and while there's a couple of maybe little bumps where the chapter transitions aren't super smooth, it's not jarring in a way that some of the others can be. Right. Yeah. Um, I have a tendency to, uh, when I talk about these kinds of like small changes that lead to greater and greater changes as chaos theory, um, for want of an eye on all that jazz. Well, it, it, based on specifically Ian Malcolm uh, in Jurassic Park, uh, um, yes. he explains chaos theory as the way he does it in the movie is he he places a drop of water on uh, Ellie's hand, um, and like it, even though he places it in the same spot, it travels in two different ways because of slightly different starting conditions, right? Um, mm. Which is like the core of the conceit for dumb kids, which is you start with slightly different starting conditions and then see Mm -hmm. how fucking different everything gets. Even if you have some of the same events happening, Mm -hmm. the way that 
your characters will react to it is different, and that creates very different changes in um, how everything goes. Yeah, uh, Joasco in the server pointed out, um, it's technically one of our questions, but it bears bringing up here, because I had the thought throughout the book, is this bears a lot of similarities, I feel like, tonally and sort of plot-wise to uh, Turn Left, an episode of, uh, I think, season three of four. Doctor Who. No, it's four, of course it's four. Um, a Donna-centric episode uh, where, as the title might suggest, it's because she turned right one day rather than turning left. Mm-hmm. Uh, she never meets the Doctor. Yep. Uh, and things go to shit. <laughs> things go to shit real fast. Um, but what's cause we see a lot of the events that have already established within law of, of mm-hmm. the show, how they play out differently. Um, mm-hmm. cause various things, cause Donna isn't basically because Donna wasn't with the doctor, the doctor died, mm-hmm. uh, was killed full on. Because either because he was too careless or didn't have enough that he felt like he had to live for because of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The, big spoilers for season four of Doctor Who. Uh, very <laughs> depressed doctor, just like not really caring mm-hmm. and needing. And as Donna said, like, you need a friend. Mm-hmm. You need somebody to remind you uh, and like keep you tethered. Mm-hmm. Points to Jake and Cassie. Um, <laughs> mm. But because then of that, the Doctor is killed. And then we have things like uh, the Space Titanic crashing into London and uh, the hospital that got taken to the moon. Like, all these crises never get averted. And a bunch of other characters we know within the the lore of the universe die as a result. Not to mention the loss of, like, thousands upon thousands of innocent Mm -hmm. people. Yep. Because of one small choice and I love that shit mm-hmm. I mean it isn't necessarily good if you're a person that overthinks things but I don't think <laughs> I'm in a high stakes sci-fi universe or maybe I am or I was and this is why I, things are the way they are but this is a real easy <laughs> way to get in a headspace that's not helpful and certainly not conducive to talking about books um, Yeah. But this book does a really great job of establishing why. Uh, it's Jake's choice, to be mm-hmm. clear, um, of why he might be feeling so worn down as to wish that, that he wasn't part of this fight, that they, the Animorphs, weren't part of this, that it had never happened. Mm-hmm. Because this uh, opening chapter is brutal. It's so good. It's so good. It's incredibly well written. Yeah. Uh, I think I want to just read it because it sets Hell up yeah. so much of Jake's headspace. Please do. Um, so let, let's dive into the book proper. Chapter one is from Jake's point of view. Help me. I tried to get up. There was a body lying on me, hork His wrist blade was jammed against my side. I tried to lift up with all four legs, lift the dead thing off me. 
but I only had three legs. My left hind leg lay across the bright lit floor, a curiosity, a macabre relic, tiger's paw. I tried to slide. That was better. The floor was wood, highly polished, slick with blood, animal, alien, human. I reached out with my two front paws, extended the claws, and dug them into the wood. They didn't catch at first, but then my right paw chewed wood and I gained traction. A voice said, help, please help me. I dragged myself slowly, carefully, gingerly, out from beneath the bladed alien. The pain in the missing leg was intense. Don't let anyone ever tell you animals don't feel pain. I've been a lot of animals. Mostly, they feel pain. Jake? Jake? It was Cassie. Yeah, I'm here. With a lurch, I was free of the weight pressing me down. I rose, shaky on three legs, looked around through the tiger's eyes. It was a fabric-cutting room, a design house. You know, dresses no one actually wears. The kind of stuff you see on Style with Elsa Clench as you're flipping channels. Fashion? Strange front organization for the Yerks. Why? There were hugely wide, long tables covered in cloth. One tilted up weirdly. One leg had been broken off entirely. Kind of like me. There were big rolls of patterned fabrics on that end that weighed the table down and made it balance, like a seesaw, not up, not down. Overhead, there were banks of brilliant fluorescent lights, splashes of stylish neon on the bare brick walls, bodies everywhere, blood, slashes of it. Cassie? I saw the wolf limp out from behind an overturned cart. She was alive. I felt a wave of relief. The last I'd seen of Cassie, she was in trouble. In the distance, out through the big doors, down the dark hallway, I heard the hoarse vocals of a grizzly bear. Rachel. Not fighting, not anymore, just raging. Raging. Roaring with the frustration of a mad beast looking for fresh victims and finding none. Marco was already demorphed. A kid. My age, but he looked so young to me. My best friend. He'd demorphed to human because the alternative was bleeding to death from a gash across his gorilla throat. Demorphed to human. All better. No pain. I'm cold. I'm cold. Help me, the voice called. Make sure he can't see you, I warned Marco. Rachel came lumbering back into the room. Eight hundred pounds of sh shaggy brown fur and railroad spike claws and a vaguely quizzical grin that hid sharp canines. Where's Tobias? I didn't answer. I didn't know the answer. Rachel began shoving and lifting hork bodies. She found Tobias, a crumpled hawk. He was breathing. Tobias, morph! I heard the clop-clop of delicate hooves. Axe was behind me, as alien as any of the dead laying around us. A dainty centaur, the body of a blue deer or antelope, with the upper body not so different from humans. A head that was very different, mouthless, with two extra eyes perched atop movable stalks. His long, dangerous tail was wet with gore. We'd been in many fights. This one was bad. This one would invade my sleep and wake me sweating and crying. Tobias, listen to me. Go to human. Someone. So cold. Help. Cassie trotted over to Rachel, 
She demorphed swiftly. So good to see her, healthy, whole, beautiful in my eyes. He's okay, Cassie assured Rachel. I think he's just stunned. As if to prove her right, Tobias ruffled a wing and said, Hey, what? Oh, oh, I'm alive. More or less, Rachel growled. That was a crazy thing to do, you idiot. You dive-bomb a hork You know, he said, thinking back now, it was crazy. <laughs> idiot, Rachel said, but she managed to put an awful lot of affection into that one insult. Tobias had saved her life, nearly ending his own. I limped over to the one injured human in the room. A human controller, an enemy, a man maybe twenty years old. A human with an alien slug in his head. Help me, he said to the tiger's face looming above him. I'm cold. Help me. He was cut. Badly. It was a hork slash. Friendly fire. That's what it's called when one of your own troops accidentally injures you. Kills you. hork in the middle of violence slashed one of their comrades. Leave him, Yerk, I said. Let him alone at last. Get out of his head. Let him do this last thing as a free human being. His face was pale, white, waxy, like a white candle. Someone had smashed his head, mangled his ears. I recognized the marks of a tiger's claw. His brown eyes stared up at me. I can't get out, the yerk inside his head said to me. The ears are blocked. Can't get out. I'm trapped. We have to get out of here, X said. They may send reinforcements. I'm cold, the human controller said. Just, just get me a blanket, or... Prince Jake, X prodded. I'm scared. Does that, does that make you happy, Andalite? The dying man said. To the Yerks, we were Andalites. The morphing technology is Andalite science, far beyond anything a human was yet capable of. So to them, we were Andalites, a misunderstanding we deliberately fostered. Axe was the only true Andalite in our group. No, it doesn't make me happy, I said. The pain. Can't you help me? Cold. Help me. Come on, Jake. It was Marco. He'd remorphed to Osprey this time. We needed to escape. The air was our surest way out. Grow wings and fly. Fly and put it all behind us. Pretty soon we'd be joking, laughing, trying anything that would make us forget what we'd seen. What we'd done. Help. Let's go, I said. I demorphed, out of sight of the doomed controller. Then I grew Falcon's wings and flew out through a window Rachel opened with her fist. And that's how the book opens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it starts out and it does not really let up. Not emotionally speaking, anyway. No. God, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just really, really evocative and haunting and really paints in a way that we don't often get to see just how mm. fucked up all of these battles are that these kids get into. Because mm-hmm. um, usually when, we, when we're reading a book, like, these battles are... Uh, in the midst of a larger plot that they don't have time to sit and be in it mm. really yeah you know it's it's a it's part of a larger fight that they have to keep moving 
And so we don't get to see them just like in the aftermath of a battle like this, where they don't immediately have to retreat and like limp away and lick their wounds elsewhere, where they actually won the battle such as it is. And they're the ones, the last ones left standing. Like, mm. it's a lot. Yeah. And it's like seeing the matter of factness, factness about the kids as well. Like, yes. We have it stressed to us time and time again that this is a war, that they are soldiers. But, like, hearing these pleas for help and not because they know it, because they know it's a yerk, mm -hmm. or they presume it's a yerk because it is most likely to be. Mm -hmm. And there is an utter lack of compassion. And I'm not saying necessarily that it's warranted, but all of them are so exhausted and beaten down by this, just like, okay, well, I'm alive. Mm -hmm. Like, we see everything, like, Rachel's mad the fight's not still going, Marco has done the pragmatic thing, and so on and so forth. But there is nobody in this moment being like, mm, maybe we could, like, I mean, in a... a if it was older characters or in a different book, it might have been, I could see a mercy kill happening. Because mm -hmm. that's somebody's going to die. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're already feeling cold, mm, nah. Like, I think that's like, there's a, this is somebody that's been mauled by a tiger and is probably dealing with crush injuries mm -hmm. and is bleeding out. There's no help for that person. A kind thing to do might be to end it. Mm -hmm. But they don't do that either. Because the priority is them in this moment. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they have gotten to this point, because in the past we've seen them treat people, uh, treat their enemies with more compassion than theirs. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's like the weight of knowing just how bad a fight it is and how more than one of them could have died. Just like I don't have the emotional spoons left to be kind, which I can believe. Mm -hmm. Like even if you are a nice, I say no, even if you are a kind, good uh, person who's very altruistic by nature, there comes a point where you can't. Or something, you can't feed people from an empty table. Mm -hmm. like if there's nothing left you can't give it away but again, it's just there is something deeply illustrative of the tragedy uh, and of how much these are not really children anymore I mean they are but also they are not normal children anymore mm -hmm. that they are these soldiers so as we move into chapter two, you can understand why Jake's like, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. Mm -hmm. We know he struggles with self-loathing anyway. And he talks about how that fight is never going to leave him, but also like the voice of somebody begging for help. Mm -hmm. Can't see that being easy to forget either. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So, yeah. 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 The next chapter, uh, Jake gives us the kind of standard spiel of, hey, I'm just a kid, except also I have terrible nightmares because of all the terrible things that I've done. Uh, and specifies mm-hmm. that the worst dream is just him and Cassie, and they're standing in a forest, and she's outlined in light. And there's a cave, and he's telling her to go in, and she's looking at me with trust in her eyes, looking at me and loving me and believing in me and trusting me, and I'm telling her to go into the cave. I'm the leader of the Animorphs. I don't know how that happened. It was some doom pronounced by Marco. Why me? Because, Marco said, because it has to be. And he can't sleep, somewhat obviously. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And as he's laying in bed, uh, the drode comes to him. Because, of course, it's the drode. Uh, A favorite little shit, Hale. Favorite little shit. (laughs) He is here to make things worse, under the guise of making things better. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is like, this is true, like, monkey paw, like, uh, cursed mm-hmm. wish. This is like preying on somebody at their weakest moment. And it's very, uh, it's very simple. Like, in the past, we've seen the drone very like, nah, I am here, the world of, like, enjoying being evil is my point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a very sort of, he's here in the guise of friendship, Mm -hmm. and it's so much worse. Um, And the notion we've got, what I love is this telling, is he tells the drone to go away as soon as he realizes it's here, Um, Mm -hmm. because the drone's like, oh, you called to me. Um, After giving him all, like, Jake's titles. um, Mm -hmm. And how Krayak is making an offering. Um, and the pitch is, say the word, and it never was, Jake. Say the word, Jake, and you never walked through the construction site. Say the word, and you know nothing. No weight on your shoulders. Say the word. How long till your cousin Rachel loses her grip? You know the darkness is growing inside her. How long till Tobias dies, a bird? A bird. How can he ever be happy? How long till Marco is forced to destroy his own controller mother? Will he survive that, do you think? How long, Jake, till you kill Tom? Then more dreams will come. Jake the Yerk Killer. And through this, Jake is pushing back, just like, go away. Crawl back under your rock. Um, It will happen, Jake. You know that. The cave. The day will come. You know what the cave is, Jake. You know what it means, that dark cave. You know that death is within. When she dies, when Cassie dies, it will be at your word, Jake. My master, Craig, offers you an escape. It just occurs to me now I'm not doing my fun drode voice, but I'm giving this book some gravitas that it deserves. <laughs> um, in his compassion, great Craig has struck a deal with that meddling nitwit Elemist. Cryak would free you, Jake. Cryak would free you all. 
all be as if it would have been if you had simply taken a different path home. And Jake can't help but think about it, that moment at the mall. Back in the first book, um, a safe, well-lit way home rather than a route through a construction site and meeting Elfangor. And the notion of undoing it, no more war, no more pain or fear or guilt. Just one word, Jake, the droad whispered, no. No, two, I think. One must not sacrifice good manners. Two words and it never was. Two words and you know nothing, have no power, no responsibility. What words? One is Krayak, the other is please. I wanted to say no. I wanted to say no. I wanted. And hey, next chapter, we got this little doohickey of day one. And the timeline is reset, has shifted. We are in a different line, uh, a different course of events. Is reading this just like all I can think over and over again is like this is a child, mm-hmm. and even somebody you know is bad and represents the worst, being like it can stop hurting. Don't you want it to stop hurting? This sucks mm-hmm. for you. I hate that it sucks for you. I can make it stop. Yeah, uh, it's. Especially after the talk of like how we feel pain and like Mm -hmm. how everyone feels pain and just like, yeah. And the notion that even if it's not true, even if the droad has just been hanging away and like, I just need one bad day. And then I'll just like, oh, you called to me, Jake. Bullshit. You've probably been sitting for a while waiting. But like it also puts, and it's an abuser tactic, droad's like, you asked me to come here. This is your mm-hmm. choice. Don't you want to be happy? And all of that is on Jake. Mm-hmm. And like playing on his worst fears. Mm-hmm. The things he holds himself responsible for his friends. I'm looking at this fucking upsetting Chekhov's gun of the cave, by the way. And I'm like, hmm. And also, I'm like, I, this could be anything, and this could be a double twisty in the future because somebody is seeding these as nightmares when actually the cave is a good thing. And let me tell you, that's a rabbit hole I don't need to be going down right now. But if this fucking <laughs> cave of light shows up later, I'm going to be screaming at Danielle. I can promise you all that. Um, but this is primed and ready to go. And this is... This in and of itself, and we're going to see more of this, this is a tactic. This is a cult tactic. This is preying on people at their most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Which is what, you know, this is it, it's part of the villain playbook, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I'm loath to describe the Drode as subtle, he actually <laughs> kind of is. Uh-huh. Com- comparatively speaking. Um <laughs> This is part of why I like him so much because he's not a physical threat. Mm-hmm. He just understands he understands humans and how to manipulate them. 
Because Cryak is like all-knowing, all-seeing, evil, Sauron, Dalek, Emperor vibes. Elamist is like the good version of that. Um, the Drode is feels like, because the Drode is not powerful in the same way, it's probably easier for him to get into the mindset and manipulate mm-hmm. these kids. When, when do I get my? Is there any good road backstory fix? I want to know about the. Was this little shit built? <laughs> was he plucked off some alien world like you, kid? You've got a capacity for fucking shit up. Come with me. <laughs> this little fucking chaos gremlin of an alien <laughs> who I love and loathe in equal measures. Um, because I do like villains that work like this. Mm-hmm. I always find them very compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also, I think, there's a little bit of the quicker because this is a little bit. This is a touch of the good uh, evil advisor vibes that I always just like. Mm-hmm. Mm, yes, give mm-hmm. me my shady little fuck hanging around with the most powerful person, being like, yeah, gonna get you. Uh, I just like them. I find them very compelling. Um, so, yeah, I'm getting into the weeds. I'm a sleepy person today, so rambling is more likely than usual. Yep. Uh, how far were you into this book uh, before you started cursing my droid choices in dumb case? <laughs> you know what, Daniel? I hadn't really actively considered it so much. <laughs> Gonna now. To be fair, I was thinking, man, what does the uh, dumb kids alternate timeline look like? Who's right. the most likely to say yes? I mean, I say this, you go for Benny. Yep. <laughs> is what you do. <laughs> Hi, here, hello. Welcome to the podcast within a podcast. <laughs> Possible future plots for dumb kids that may or may yep. not ever happen. Yeah, I, I, I went for Benny on purpose hell. because Benny mm-hmm. is uh, the one who is most racked with guilt. Yeah. And self-loathing. Yeah. Uh and it's it's very easy to go to Benny and say, I can make Rachel alive again. Not Rachel, fuck, Ariel. Ah, um, you did it! You did it! <laughs> I can make Sorry. Ariel alive again. Uh, mm-hmm. And make it so your grandmother was never yerked. Make it uh-huh. so that Constance was never yerked, that you never had to do this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Danielle, I expect your dumb kids AU on my death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be a very good fic, though. I wonder if I have the chops for that. Secret druids. I'll just put in the prompt. I'll put in the prompt five times. I'll make it seem like it was lots of people. <laughs> I have that power. <clears throat> but what I what what's fascinating about this, uh, the notion of going after Jake. Um, mm-hmm. and going after Benny we have the interesting thing in Dumb Kids of uh, we don't have a true leader role but we have the responsibility the vibe of the leader split between two arguably three characters mm-hmm. kind of four in a way like Hell does it sometimes just nowhere near as often um, but somebody who from the outside looks the strongest Mm-hmm. Um, like Big Jake. Um, and that notion of this is some a play that I, that would only really work for like the Drode and Craig because 
they can get into Jake's thoughts. Mm -hmm. Anyone else attacking the Animorphs would choose someone different. We've seen it. Mm -hmm. You go for Tobias, who's the outsider, who's in the fragile body. You go for Cassie, who is compassionate. You go for Rachel, who's so easy to piss off. And mm-hmm. you, how easy would it be to, like, get her going on a tirade? Marco has got plenty of weak spots, though I would argue Marco would be a dangerous one to go for because mm-hmm. the drone as a foil to Marco is something that's hitting me right now and I'm upset about it, <laughs> but it's c- correct. <laughs> Fuck. But that's why, and I, I just love that parallel of the person, and this is true, I think, in lots of media, like the person with the heaviest burden who is the strongest being the mm-hmm. easiest, ugly to target in some ways. Because mm-hmm. um, I know Cassie frequently talks about herself as being the weakest link in that group. Um but they all have their strengths, and none of them are truly a weak link. It's just how they mm-hmm. might be perceived. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, everybody has weak spots. It doesn't make them a weak link. Yeah, exactly that. Um, but we have that fucking chilling interaction, and then we're just at the mall, Cassie's perspective. Um. Cassie, frankly, everyone sounds a little bit... Anytime anyone in this ra- book describes Rachel, just like, you're a little bit in love with Rachel? <laughs> Everybody's a little bit in love with Rachel. <laughs> Everybody is a little bit in love with Rachel, uh, except Jake. But even Jake acknowledges that she is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, an odd narrative choice, frankly, but I'll let it slide. Um, because beautiful people aren't supposed to die in horrible ways. So, mm-hmm. you know. But we, as soon as this goes on, we talk about, and we get this interesting underlying stuff with Rachel that we've seen evidence of how she's not mean or a snob, how she's not part of a clique, that she's sort of her own thing and her own person. And she is sort of held up as being this vision of physical and intellectual perfection and like indifference. Um, and how she sort of seems to walk around untouched by everything. Mm-hmm. And how she knows that she is because she's not humble, uh, but just hasn't got time for notions of popularity. And I just love mm-hmm. this insight from Cassie, like seeing it written down this this take on Rachel. And then we get this, and this is interesting as we find out why Cassie Cassie's always been insightful about the others. That's that's part of her remit um, and her role in the group. But we get this lovely insight of, I get the feeling with Rachel that she's waiting, impatient, looking for something more, moving through life in search of a very different destiny. Her sports are gymnastics and shopping, which you think, what the fuck? Um, And like, she knows she'll never be a great gymnast because she's about twice as tall as the average gymnast. Um, The part of her that interests me, but not as much as her shopping Oh, that part of her interests me, but not as much as I should. Because we've heard people complain about Rachel at the mall before. Mm-hmm. And here we get it described as hunting. And I guess you can never be friends with somebody who hunts animals. But with Rachel, it's the combination of knowledge and instincts and the thrill of stalking and closing in. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I love this insight. 
Mm-hmm. And we get this great thing just like, well, this, this, this 25% off at Express, that's fine. But some basic sweater, so better mix of fabrics, 40% off at Structure. Plus, the point is, this sweater goes with the jeans on sale at The Gap or the jeans on sale at the department store, and the Express sweater only goes with the Gap jeans. And now I'm going to be sorry I asked this, but how can one sweater that is almost identical to another sweater not go with a pair of basically identical jeans? Rachel just looks at her. The look of incredulity and confusion. Cassie, you know I love you, but did you just get in from Uzbekistan? Yes, yes, Rachel. I just flew in from <laughs> Uzbekistan. <laughs> the dynamic between Cassie and Rachel here is fucking magnificent. And I love it's that we get impeccable. This, we get but I love that we get this window into their friendship before everything changed. Mm-hmm. I'm and so glad actually, we get this introduction from their perspective. Mm, yeah. Um yeah, and she and Rachel explains why the genes are different. How do you expect to get through life with an unappreciation of what goes with what? I expect life will just be one long struggle. Um, and then Rachel's just laughing. No one was more amused by her obsession with shopping than me was, and than she was. Like I said, Rachel was waiting for something else. She didn't know what. Uh, I sure didn't. And then we have this beautiful moment of Cassie being like, don't look at Jake. I can't look at my cousin. You can look. Just don't look. That's what I'm saying. You mean don't look at him in a way that will somehow convey to him that you're hot for him, that you want his lips pressed against yours, that you want his big, strong arms wrapped all around you? <laughs> yes, Rachel. That's what I meant. That is exactly what I meant. <laughs> uh, I'm just like, mm, yes, love these friends. Um and it's nice to get this take on that one Cassie has always liked Jake and seeing why it's just like mm-hmm. um how Jake is cute. Um but not in like an oh he's so cute, but he's like how he's big, not hulking big, just like he looks older than he is and he's also smart and funny and modest and how she thinks he likes her because they sit together on the bus sometimes and sometimes they end up near each other in assemblies. Um never asked each other out. Rachel finds it hilarious. Um <laughs> And we have this moment where this is some peak 90s color blindness, little, but yep. a rare acknowledgement of the fact that Cassie is black. Yes. Um, and she's like, do you think he's okay with me being, and you can do it because it's African-American and all. Um, I do right. Cassie, I've known Jake all my life. Believe me, he doesn't know you're black. That's how little he would care. Jake is one guy out of a thousand who really doesn't care about who you, who really does care about who you are, not what you look. Um, so how do I look? I asked actually, like you should be singing E-I-E-I-O. You're wearing Walmart overalls with bird poop on the cuffs. So you have no makeup on and there's dirt under your fingernails. That is just dirt, isn't it? Yeah, probably dirt, possibly manure. Yes. Well, you compensate for your old McDonald clothing sense by being pretty, very smart, very cool, and the most completely real person I've ever met. Just like, these girls, they love each other. They are mm-hmm. friends. <laughs> um... And then we get the, they, but yes, they spotted Jake, who is there with Marco, um, who apparently are not as mismatched as Rachel and Cassie, at least outwardly. At least from what Cassie knows, she admits that she doesn't really know him. Um, just like that he is small, especially alongside Jake, uh, with long, dark, fairly long, dark hair, an olive complexion, and a permanently amused expression. And then we get, again, fucking razor sharp insight. 
Marco is a comedian, not a class clown, not a guy who wants to make the teacher mad. He just seems to think the world is funny. I guess a psychologist would call it a defense mechanism. <laughs> just like, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> his mum died a couple of years ago. Anyway, maybe that's it. Or maybe he's just funny. Um, anyway, if Jake likes him, he must be okay. Yeah, I don't sound too much like someone with a crush. Just like, <laughs> adorbs. Um, but and she notices that Tobias is with them, who is an unknown to Cassie, and seems like he's just sort of latched on to Jake, who's too nice to tell him to go away. Um, but Tobias is still keeping this space there. But uh, they all meet up. Jake has a momentary deer in headlights look, which is cute, and then adapts the nonchalance of the thirteen-year-old boy, just like, "Hey." <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey Rachel, hi Cassie. And then Rachel whispers, "Can I look at him now?" And it's just like, <laughs> "Yes, this is so good." Um, and Jake or Jake's makes the mistake from the first book. It's just like, "Oh, yeah, I mean, you you guys you going home? I mean, you shouldn't go through the construction site by yourselves. I mean, being girls and all." Uh, this was a mistake Jake knew it as soon as the words were out of his mouth I could see it but it was too late are you going to come and protect us you big strong man <laughs> um, and Rachel's just like is ready to full blown tear him a new one um, mm -hmm. you just think we're helpless you think we're helpless just because but Cassie cuts her off um and Rachel's like, spoil my fun, boo. Um, <laughs> but they take the long walk round. Of most 10 minutes of mostly walking in silence, Tobias spots a streak of light off to the right. Um, I think, oh, maybe it's a meteorite. Marco is disappointed that the meteorite falling out of the sky has missed the school. Um, but they keep walking. And Cassie has this feeling, um, like going into a room you know when you're familiar with every stick of furniture and it's your room and it's just like it always has been, only somehow in some way that only appears as a tingling on the back of your neck, it's different. I shook it off. I had other things to focus on, like whether Jake was ever, uh, was ever going to even hold my hand. But this is the path the kids are on. Mm -hmm. They turn right. Based on the Doctor Who episode. <laughs> um, yeah, we get the sense that Cassie uh, can feel something is wrong more than the others can. Um, and later we get that kind of explicitly spelled out where she like gets the feeling that people are missing in a scene where they should be. Um, and then even later to like where she actually knows things that she couldn't possibly know in this timeline. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that comes to a thing as Jade kind of lampshaded at the beginning of, of a Cassie is special. Um, and it, it's frustrating that they did that because um, the reasoning they give, um, this will make more context later, I say, about her being, was it subtemporally grounded? Grounded, yep. Which actually is quite cool. 
But they mm-hmm. could have said, like, we don't know why she is this. Mm-hmm. Perhaps something happened. But it's just like, mm, she's special. I'm putting that sardonic tone on because I just find it very contrived. And it's frustrating yes. because the explanation around it is actually very interesting and good. Mm-hmm. And for sci-fi mumbo-jumbo, it's incredibly well explained mm-hmm. and justified as to mm-hmm. why it's the case. And we get other instances throughout from other characters, but it's insinuated later that maybe the Elemist's touch was there. Or it's outright clear that the Elemist's touch was there. Yeah, I think it's, but it, it's is. Mm-hmm. it has more to do with the the destabilization of this timeline. Yeah. Um like the because fact that Cassie is awareness. Yeah. Because Cassie is here, this timeline is inherently unstable and it causes breakdowns in the fabric of the reality that they're experiencing. Mm. And they're very cool. Uh, mm-hmm. That said, there is definitely uh, direct Elemist action at one point because I'm there just like, this motherfucker. Excellent. Um, instant teleportation. Yeah, okay. Hmm. It's good. I like it, to be clear, because the Elemist does fucking cheat. Um, and I find that interesting as much as I hate the bastard <laughs> because it makes him more interesting. I remain excited for the Elemist Chronicles. Um, but hey, that's enough fun talk. You ready to get sad? <laughs> Let's be sad about my son. <laughs> Let's be sad about Daniel's son. Uh, because we get a very frank and just descriptive and gross insight into what Tobias's life uh, was like before he was a hawk. Because we never got to see his point of view uh, from those days, really. We got some flashbacks in book three uh, and uh, 20, not 23, uh, 33, um, about, about what his life was like. But here we get it pretty explicitly spelled out uh, because we are in his POV as it's happening. Uh, it's day seven, according to the count at the top of the chapters. Uh, so some days have passed since they their totally uneventful walk home. Uh, and Tobias gets up after sleeping on the couch because his uncle got drunk and passed out in Tobias's room. So Tobias went to sleep on the couch. Uh... It was okay. At least that way, I could watch TV till I fell asleep. Uh, he does his own laundry, which in a normal household would be admirable for a 13-year-old boy. Uh, but in this household is just another example of how his uncle does fuck all except drink. Uh, mm-hmm. And... It's a nice collection of stuff that could make me look like a complete dork or a complete lowlife, my choice. My uncle doesn't buy a lot of stuff for me. I'm what you'd have to call low priority in his life. Half the stuff I had was stuff he'd thrown away, or else stuff I'd picked up from my aunt's attic whenever I was shuttled off to be with her for a few months. 
The food was better at my aunt's. She didn't pass out in my room. She had her own brand of fun. She'd work me like her own personal slave. That's how I knew what was in the attic. I cleaned it out. And she'd keep me out of school to run errands for her, or just to be there in case she needed me. At least my uncle let me go to school. He'd have let me go to Australia and not cared. Not a nice feeling, knowing that if you were ever kidnapped or whatever, there was no one around to bother and call the cops. But hey, that's life. It's worse for lots of kids. Marco's mom died. His dad is a wreck. Marco does everything. My mom probably died too. And my dad. I don't know. Everyone just says my mom ran off. Everyone says my dad ran off before I was born. Or sometimes they make up stories, like they both died in an accident. Sometimes I make up stories. The truth, if there ever was any truth, was lost a long time ago. Doesn't matter. He goes to the bus stop and uh, talks about how he's hoping that he doesn't meet his bullies at the bus stop because they will uh, kidney punch him while people while they're in line for the bus or to get off the bunch, bus. Um, and he talks about how there used to be these other two guys who would give him swirlies, um, but Jake stopped them. Uh, and those two haven't bugged him since, but these kids who kidney punch him still totally bug him. Um, he says that he hung out around Jake for a while, totally lame on my part. Jake has a best friend who doesn't like me, I don't think. And after a while, it was kind of obvious that I wasn't going to be part of that circle of friends. That was okay. I was still grateful. I guess Jake is who I'd like to be if I could be someone else. But there was a long list of people I'd rather be than me. Uh, he avoids his bullies at the bus. Um, which just means that they catch him at the end of the day. Um, because fucking, he has to hold his pee the whole day because he knows going to the bathroom is dangerous, uh, because he's alone and, but he can't hold out all day. And so he ends up going to the bathroom during six period and they catch him there. And they just fucking beat the shit out of him. I, they, well, first they, one of them shoves him into one of the others. And then they use that as an excuse of like, oh, he hit me. Uh, and God, it's just so much. Like they mm. really beat the shit out of him. Um, like he goes down. He's still trying not to pee because he knows that if he wets his pants, that, like, his life is effectively over. Uh, and, they, like, they kick him while he's down. Like, they could could and probably did do really real damage. Um, mm -hmm. And as he's laying there after they leave, uh, it's, it's, uh, when he comes into the bathroom to begin with, it, it's uh, described that there are two other people in the bathroom at the same time who are not his bullies and who watch this entire shit happen and do nothing. And then after the bullies leave, they look down at Tobias and they're like, oh, are you okay? 
Your life doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to be a victim all the time. There's a way out. You don't have to be all alone, man. You don't have to be anyone's punching bag. And they give him a card that says the sharing on it, and they walk away. 